Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. I don't know about you, but I feel like I've just heard a sermon. Thank you. That was beautiful. Magnificent. It, it, it warmed my heart. Thank you for sharing your gift. Our scripture this morning comes from Mark chapter 7. And we're going to be skipping around in the verses, but it's basically selected from chapter 7, verses 1 through 23. The Pharisees and some legal experts from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus. They saw some of his disciples eating food with unclean hands. They're eating without first ritually purifying their hands through washing. And the Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat without first washing their hands carefully. This is a way observing of observing the rules handed down by the elders. Upon returning to the marketplace, they don't eat without first immersing themselves. They observe many other rules that have been handed down, such as the washing of cups, jugs, pans, and sleeping mats. So the Pharisees and legal experts asked Jesus, why are your disciples not living according to the rules handed down by the elders, but instead eat food with richly unclean hands? He replied, Isaiah really knew what he was talking about when he prophesied about you hypocrites. He wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me. Their worship of me is empty since they teach instructions that are human words. You ignore God's commandment while holding on to rules created by humans handed down to you. Then Jesus called the crowd again and said, listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing outside of a person can enter and contaminate a person in God's sight. Rather, the things that come out of a person contaminate the person. It's what comes out of a person that contaminates someone in God's sight, he said. It's from the inside, from the human heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual sins, thefts, murder, adultery, greed, evil action, deceit, unrestrained immorality, envy, insult, arrogant, and foolishness. All of these evil things come from the inside and contaminate a person in God's sight. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, I ask that you'd help us to hear the message of your son, his intention, his words for our lives today. These were written long ago, but their truth still rings clear. And I pray that, Lord, through your spirit, it's leading in my life, but more importantly, that your spirit would use what I may lift in these words of the text, and you would speak to us, that you would share with each one of us what we need to hear on this day, so that we may truly follow you and be a Christian in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. In the mid-1980s, I was living in Atlanta. I was finishing up my degree at Emory 
and, and I was a big fan of Saturday Night Live. And, and uh, one of the characters I truly loved at that time, that generation, I guess, of Saturday Night Live was Billy Crystal. Uh, this was before his City Slicker days and before Harry met Sally. And, and he took a play out of Fernando Lamas. He was the Argentinian actor's, uh, I guess, a quote that he had said, took something from him and turned it into a Saturday Night Live skit. It, 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 and, and Fernando Lamas actually said, it is better to look good than feel good. But Billy Crystal kind of jumped on this and he was kind of doing a mock meeting with, uh, at, then, at that time, the owner of the, the Yankees, um, George Steinbrenner. And they're sitting in, it looks like sort of a lounge and whatnot. And, and Billy Crystal's character looked at him and goes, oh, marvelous. You, darling, you, you, you look marvelous. You, you look beautiful. And he goes, you know, for me, it is better to, to look good than to feel good. And then he looks at the camera and he says, and you know who you are. I, I never noticed that, that last line until I started going back to, to look at this kid. I remember when I first watched it as a kid, well, I guess I was a kid, I was a young adult, wasn't I? Feels like a kid now that I'm 62. But it, it was a long time ago, and um, it, I just laughed because it was so silly and it was so funny. And, and the truth is, I think we all probably think this sometimes, it's better to look good than to feel good, but we would never really say that in public, would we? But then I heard this, and you know who you are, now, I'm not sure who he was addressing, and, and I told the first group, I, I don't have Billy Crystal on my speed dial, so I, I can't ask him. So this is going to be pure conjecture on my part. I wonder if he wasn't speaking to all of us. Because the truth is, although we may think sometimes it is better to look good than to feel good, and we would never say it, but we also understand the importance of first impressions, right? We, we're all subject to the opinions of others. We, we like to be well thought of. When, when we're in a crowd, we, we want people to notice us. They, we want them to accept us. Um, it, it's, it's part of being human. And, and the truth is, you can only make a first impression one time. But the reality is, uh, I, I'm also very much aware that first impressions, although they may be important, they're somewhat overrated. Because many times I have met people, and yeah, they had things buttoned up, and, and they looked good, they said the right things. I mean, they, they were on top of the trends. They were always impeccable. They, they, they were just, you know, perfect. But as I got to know them, I realized they struggled. I realized that they were, as I have been throughout my life at times, shapeshifters. They're more worried about the latest trends that they had to keep up with, or they were so focused on defining and detailing their outer appearance that they didn't have time or they didn't take the effort to really understand who they were. They were so busy trying to control what other people thought of them that beneath the layers they were somewhat lost. They didn't understand that they were a beloved child of God regardless of what other people thought of them, who was uniquely gifted and utterly amazing simply because of who they were and as they truly lived into themselves. As I've read this story in Mark's gospel throughout the years, it's a story that, like, like so many of them, it, 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 it piques my interest every time I read it. Um, 
I maintain a, a collection of Bibles that I've had. I remember, as I think I've told you before, I didn't grow up in church. I became a Christian when I was 15. And when I got into college, uh, I, I wanted to get a really serious study Bible. And, and somebody said that the best Bible are out there right now, and again, this is somebody else's opinion. Of course, I followed it because I wanted to make a good impression. They said, you need to get an, a new American standard, NASB Bible. That is the best Bible to get out there because it's a, the best literal word-for-word translation. And it is a great Bible. But I'm going to tell you what, it's not always the easy, easiest one to read. But I went back and looked at that Bible because it was one of the Bibles, I, the, stu- the earliest study Bible I had, and just to see what I, I put in the margins and, and what I underlined. And, and, and I remember as I looked at this, what I found is I was wondering what were these Jewish leaders of the faith con- so concerned about? Yes, there is a need for cleanliness, but it's got to be more than germs or the transfer- uh, transferring of illness. Well, cleanliness is just as important today as it was back then, especially in a worldwide pandemic. But there is more to the story. I mean, Jesus' reaction is really strong. I mean, I read those words rather tentatively. If I were to truly get in character, I imagine Jesus, when he said, you're a bunch of hip, I mean, he wouldn't have just said, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. I suspect there was passion, there was emotion. He was frustrated. These were the leaders of the Jewish nation, and they're playing games, at least in his mind. Yes, I think he was frustrated and angry. Some people may think he condemned them, and I don't think he did. I think he wanted to convict them. I think he wanted to to push them. Hey, look harder, look deeper. There's more to God than what you're doing here. It's not about the traditions that we have hung on to. But at the same time, he also knew that they are human just like us. And I believe much of their comments were based upon fear. Now, how do I know that? I do because not only am I an observer of human behavior, I know from my own responses that I realize when I am afraid, when I feel like I'm outside of my comfort zone, the first thing I try to do is I want to control the situation I try to lock down access to keep things from going farther beyond my control. I want to hang on to rules and things that are comfortable. I create safe havens where I can gather like-minded people who are not going to question my motives and ideas and perceptions. And as I do this, I move farther away from my faith, but more importantly, I move farther away from trusting God to lead both your and my life. You know, I think one of the deeper teachings within these words of Jesus this morning is a call to let go of our fears, releasing them so that we are not living from or leading from a place of fear. I experienced this in a very interesting way, kind of a benign way this past summer. In the early and mid-90s, believe it or not, I used to fly two-line stunt kites up and down the East Coast. I I would take off on Friday nights, and I'd go to these places, and I'd fly on Saturday, and I'd meet up with friends, and we'd have competitions, or we'd have fun. And and then I would drive home Saturday night, and I'd, I'd preach on Sunday morning. 
You can only do that for so long when you're young. When you get a little bit older, it, gets, it kind of wears you out. And, and eventually I said, I, I can't do this anymore. And sadly, I, I also quit flying the kites. I put them in the kite bag and I put them in a closet. And there they sat for almost 25 years. Well, this summer, we, they, we, I was down at the beach house and they said, why, why don't you fly these things? I don't know. I, just, I, I, I didn't have a good answer. And, and my friends and family said, you need to fly them. Get them out. Take them out. Fly them. And I said, well, maybe I did. I, I used to love doing that. It, it was a sense of joy, a sense of freedom. And it, it was just fun. And so I, I took them to the beach. And, and the wind was a little bit stronger than I, I probably realized. And I got this kite. And it's a big kite. It's about seven feet. And I hooked that thing up, and I, I, I pulled on the strings, and up it went, and man, that sucker roared. And I could feel the power of the wind in my hands and in my arms. Now, there was some muscle memory that came back, but there was also terror. Because I realized that kite was flying. I mean, it wasn't flying. It was soaring. It was ripping through. And I went, okay, I used to be a member of the American Kite Association. I had liability insurance. Now I have nothing. And I'm thinking, oh, gosh. I have to be honest with you. When the line broke and the kite crashed, I was actually relieved. But then I said, is this really how I want to end my experience with flying kites? So I, I took the damaged kite back in and I, I repaired it and I got some stronger lines. And, and I went back out. And I thought for a second. So yeah, remember the things I, I learned about flying kites a long time ago was that I don't control the wind. In the same way you and I don't control God or God's spirit. There is a wind window. You can only go far, so, so far to the right and so far to the left and so far up. And, and what you need to do is allow the wind to fly the kite, and I'm merely following the wind and allowing it to do whatever the kite does. I'm simply at the end of the string. You know, our faith is kind of like that too. We don't control God, but we're invited into the dance with God to allow God to control us, to, to allow the Spirit to move in our lives, to show us where our limits are, how high we can fly, how far left or right we go, but to stay within the window of God's love and God's leading. And when we do that, when we trust the Spirit, when we realize that we're not in control, it removes the fear and it allows us to live fully who we are. I mean, Jesus was pretty straightforward in these verses, telling us to stay focused on what really matters. Our motives and from what comes from our heart. You know, God's desire is that you and I always get it right on the outside. I mean, I rarely get it right. I mean, I'd like to tell you that I did, but I, that wouldn't be honest. I mean, I try, but you know, I'm not a perfect human being. I'm a deeply flawed human being who is saved by grace, who trusts God's love at every moment. And I know God uses me in spite of myself. Because I find it pretty easy to stumble over my own feet and get in my own way. And yet, God loves me and loves us. It's not about how perfect we get it. It matters on how we do it. 
I mean, because let's be honest, life can leave us ragged and disheveled and worn out. And, and Jesus is telling us that, you know, by faith, it's less about right beliefs and saying the right thing. It's more about right practice. How do we react? How do we respond? Yes, we need to grow in our understanding of who God is and how to share God's love in a way that is articulate. But more importantly, we need to help show, understand how to share it through our lives and our actions and our choices, how we treat one another, especially when we are afraid and in hard relationships. It's in these moments we must learn to listen to understand rather than listening for how we will respond. People, other people, and God's love for them needs to always be our primary focus. This is when our faith is something that flows from within our heart. And it even comes sometimes to that place when we're afraid. And it calls us to trust God. And to know that God will guide us and always give us what we need. I mean, have you ever found yourself in a situation and you're thinking, Lord, have mercy. I have no clue what to do here. Lean into God. Because I guarantee you, God's already given everything you need to deal with that situation before it happened. Our lives prepare us, our faith, our journey prepare us for what lies ahead. And when we trust this, it flows from our hearts. And as we dive and explore Jesus' understanding and teaching of love, it will help us understand not only God's love for us, but how we then can love others. Because Jesus is pretty clear in what he taught us, John 13, 34 through 35. He, he gave us one thing to do. He said, I give you one commandment, just, just one thing. Love each other. Here's the kicker, though. Just as I loved you, so you must also love one another. We need to think about what does that mean, just as I loved you. Lean into that. How has Jesus truly loved me? How has he loved you? And he said, as we do that, we learn how to love one another. And then this is how everyone will know that you are my disciples when you love each other. He states twice in the verses we read today, it's not how we look or anything outside of us. It's what comes from within. How we respond to the needs of others, how we treat one another, how we embody our faith, and our love for God and one another, all of these things are truly what matters. Not whether we can recite the right things, but how do we live them? I encourage you this week to take some time. If you've got a concordance or look it up on the internet, look through the, the Gospels for a word search where Jesus talks about love and what it means to love. Let us dive deeply into it. One last thing I think is implied in this teaching of Jesus is the fact that he calls us to release the outcome. It doesn't mean that we're sitting on our hands and doing nothing. I mean, I've heard that phrase many, many years ago, let, God, let go and let God. I, I suspect we've all heard it. 
It doesn't mean that we sit on our hands and we, we let God do everything. It doesn't mean we sit back and we, we lean against the wall and we let the world go by. We are called to engage life. We are called to be a part of life, but yet to understand that we do so understanding that God is in control and we merely hold the strings and we allow him to lead us and guide us. And by strings, I don't mean like a puppet. I'm talking about like a kite. It means we are to take seriously how we are to respond and clearly understand the outcome is really not within our control. It doesn't mean we're not going to try. We will. I mean, I, I am a, a recovering, no, I'm not even sure I'm a recovering control freak. I'm trying to be a recovering control freak. I, I, I remember when my daughter lived with me the, the last couple of years, she said, Dad, you, you are just, you're a control freak. And I said, I am not. She said, yes, you are. I said, I, I, I'm the most laid back people I know. And she rolled her eyes at me, really? I, what is that about, huh? Well, that, that's me trying to keep control of things, right? We do have that tendency. It, again, it's that part of we want to create safe space. Don't beat yourself up. It's a very natural thing. I mean, the world can be a frightening place and, and we control things so that we can create a place that is safe. I get it. But the point of releasing the outcome is less about control and getting what we want, which is often based on our fear, but releasing the outcome is more living into and, and letting God lead us and leading and living from a place of love where our heart overflows and our trust in God's care and provision provides the foundation. Releasing the outcome calls to let go so we can fully embrace God's movement within and around us and use the gifts and abilities that God has already given us to not only help ourselves, but to care for those around us. This past December, on the 27th, I was diagnosed with cancer. And then shortly after that, I went to see a doctor. Uh, he was my surgeon. Nice guy. We were talking. He said, this is terminal. I said, I had a feeling. He said, it's not terminal. He said, it's malignant, rather, not terminal. He said, this is malignant. He said, I had a feeling. And um, he said, uh, what are you doing this afternoon? I said, nothing. He goes, good, we're going to have surgery. Not exactly what I expected from that meeting. Surgery went well. Thank God. Thank God, really. Thank you for your prayers. Later that month, I had more scans, and they found two more tumors, more surgery. Again, thank you for your prayers, and thank God. They got it. Hopefully it's gone for good, and also prayers. But during that second surgery, a book was given to me. It was, the book is called Beyond Surviving. It's a truly interesting and, and a powerful book. Oh, it, it just touched my heart and lifted my spirits. It, it didn't say everything's going to be all right and, and God's going to, you know, going to take the cancer away. But it said God is with you. God is present in everything. God's spirit is moving in and through everything. And it encouraged me to let go of my fears and the outcome. I felt like the author was talking to me. That's why I say that. He encouraged me to let go of my anger and to seek to restore the broken places in my relationships. 
calling me to live in harmony with God's call upon my life and to allow God's love to flow through me to all people. The author's name is David McGinley, and he's a chaplain, he's Canadian, I want to say he's Presbyterian, and his own journey includes the recovery of four reoccurrences of cancer. He has been resuscitated, I think, once, maybe twice. And through that, his experience of God and God's flow and God's presence in his life has taught him that God is far greater than we can even begin to imagine, far greater than our notions of right and wrong. And within this journey, there was one story that just struck me. It just rung like a bell. There's a young man in his late 30s whose cancer was widespread. He was angry, he was frustrated, he was afraid. The, the treatment was not going well, and he had pushed everyone he loved away from him. And he had been doing this for quite some time because he was somebody who wanted to control. He was someone who was very much afraid. And in, in desperation, David met with him day after day. And in desperation, he reached out to this, this man who'd become his friend as well as the chaplain and said, tell me what I need to do with the time that I have left. That's a really big question. David realized that was bigger than what he could answer. But he thanked God, he said, by divine intervention. I, I knew what I needed to share with him. And he said, I want you to begin each new day, and as you meet new people and see the ones you've known your whole life, before you speak or react or respond to anything they say or do, Remember, in your response, you make it clear, this is how I love. I've written that phrase on a number of post-it notes. I've got it in my Bible. I've got it on my desk. I've got it on my computer. I've got it on my mirror. It's a profound thought. You know, not just if you're struggling with illness or whatever, but I don't know about you, but every day is filled with challenges, is it not? There are people that, that they're having a bad day, and, and they respond to us in ways that are not great, and, and we want to lash out. We want to think, man, what's... And, but before we respond, if we stop and we say, this is how I love, it begins to change and then challenge our response. It's not in the things or the trends or the appearance or even the stuff that we have done or the things we have always done that really matter. What really matters is how we respond and react to the people around us each and every day and whether our responses make it clear that they come from a place of love and not fear, that we have released the outcome into God's purpose and flow and they reflect our heart that we are living from the inside out by revealing that everything we do, that this is how I love. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.